welcome to the Faith is Not Blind podcast. We're so glad that you're here today because we're going to talk to Allison. And Allison's story is one that I think will ring true with a lot of people. In the church, as a lot of people that we've been interviewing have mentioned, it's hard to figure out how to achieve the level of perfection that we might expect from the church culture, even in church classes from our parents. And Allison's story, it has a really wonderfully happy ending, but she was able to explore through her experiences some of the difficulties that can happen when we put pressure on ourselves and when we interpret at least people putting pressure on us. So before we get to that part though, Allison, would you just introduce yourself a little bit and please tell us about um, what has happened in the last year of your life, that exciting news, yeah. <laughs> um, Allison Hernandez, I am the first of seven children. I grew up in this general area in Orem, Utah. Um, I've been married for three years, and within the last year, we just had a baby. She's five months old. Her name is Bridget. Yeah. She's the new love of my life. <laughs> so, and she's so cute. She is. I love her. Lots of personality. And I think Bridget is a symbol for where we're going to get to. Sort of the simplicity after the complexity can be symbolized with her. You talked about being the oldest of seven children and growing up in Utah. Talk about what it was like being the oldest in a family, um, a Mormon active family, mm -hmm. what it was like being the oldest? Um, I had a lot of responsibility, both put upon me and that I would take upon myself, maybe unnecessarily sometimes, <laughs> as the oldest. Um, I had a lot of, I was an incredibly obedient child in the beginning, and I was very into following the rules and felt extreme guilt if I didn't follow rules. and. Um, that's kind of just the way I was until um, I'd hit about my teenage years and then the yeah. rebellion comes, as <laughs> yeah. it does with many, many kids. Um, I, I know it's not true now, but I had feelings of that I was just the designated babysitter and that was my purpose in my family's life. And it was kind of, um, I felt like maybe there wasn't an emotional uh, connection that I needed to have with my parents. Um, so I think it, that deterred me a little bit. Um, however, I was still, I was brought up in the gospel. My parents were fantastic parents. Yeah. We went to church every Sunday. We always had family home evening. We, my parents exemplified what I have viewed as near perfect marriage. I can't remember a weekend they didn't go on a date, you know. Um, but it, I felt like a lot of the things that I did were because of the way that my parents were. Yeah, and, and I think what you're saying is really, it's, it's so sweet because you're able to say, I think my parents are nearly perfect, but there were still some things that I learned, maybe some of them were projections, yes. but at the same time, in a big family, there are just things that the oldest gets the opportunity to learn, sometimes through experience. Yes. In, so your parents had a good example of a good loving marriage and you had good experiences at church. How did maybe these expectations 
that, like you said, some of them you placed on yourself, how did they affect the way that you viewed church, especially as you went into young women's? How, how did that sort of shadow that experience or enlightened it, maybe both? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are, there are a lot of expectations in the church because we receive a lot of commandments from our prophets, you know, today lots of revelation um, and so for me I felt like I was obligated to do some of these things because that's what people were doing in the church and that's what my parents thought I should do and I was I held a lot of callings in young women's I was pretty much always in the presidency I was always um, I, I was in seminary council I was in the state youth council I had a lot of people looking at me basically um, because you were sort of the ideal girl yes. in the ideal family, <laughs> yes. which can be wonderful until you feel it yourself. Yes. Um, I think following, I kind of felt a little bit like a conveyor belt Mormon girl, I guess, uh-huh. kind of just like, these are the parts, just assemble her, and this is what she's going to look like. And I, I think it got to me eventually, and yeah. it was difficult within the actual church doctrine, within the actual relationship that you fostered with Heavenly Father, can you tell me what that was like? Because I think it's important to recognize with all these other pressures going on, what was going on with your own personal spiritual development? Um, I think I can say, for me, one of my first experiences with feeling my own feelings toward the church, positive ones. I, I was about 10 and I, like you're supposed to in Moroni 10, pray about the Book of Mormon and get an answer if it's true. And I remember going up on the hill behind my house and praying and just getting this feeling almost as if Heavenly Father said, you, you know it's true. I mean, thank you for coming to me and praying, but you know it's true. And I felt that as a 10 year old. And so for me, I thought, well, I know this is true. So if this is true, I have to follow all these rules and all these things that I have to do. But from that point, I'm not sure that it quite developed past. I know Heavenly Father is there and he's listening to me. Yeah. And so obviously that's somewhat of a, a detriment when you're just checking things off the list. Well, and what a beautiful experience to say, especially for an oldest child. Yes. You know, yes. you're, you're responsible, <laughs> you're self-sufficient, you know, but if it stops there, then it can be problematic yes. later, which is a, a really good place for us to highlight that mm-hmm. moment with you by yourself, mm-hmm. choosing to go ask that question, getting the answer, recognizing it, but maybe saying, okay, well, what that means is I have to do more. Mm-hmm. So. We'll return to that moment later, but let's talk about what did you feel then like you had to do? You said you felt like you had to keep all these rules. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you feel like you had to do as a teenager and as you got older towards miss- mission age, mm-hmm. especially? Um, I did have a lot of, um, I, I felt that I needed to explore a little bit towards more of the teenage years. And I started to rebel. 
but I always felt like I needed to come back and go through the repentance process for those things because that's what I was supposed to do, mm-hmm. even though my heart wasn't in it. And let me tell you, the bishop and I were really good friends through my teenage years because I would do something wrong. I knew that I wasn't supposed to do that logically, so I'd come back and go through the process. But I, I honestly can't say that my heart was in it at that point because those issues that I had as a teenager continued into young adulthood and things I hadn't actually conquered. I had just gone through the steps of the repentance process. Um, so that did, um, when I did come to the point of mission age, I, there was, that was really close to the age change when girls could go at 19. And so I felt, well, there's even more reason for me to go on a mission. Not only is, you know, is it something that you do when you're a good LDS person, but now Heavenly Father's made it so that I can go now. And so I started working toward going on a mission. And because I hadn't conquered some of these other spiritual doubts that I had, it actually was more difficult to get out onto the mission. And I'm not even sure that I went out for the right reasons either, because again, it was people looking at me and wanting to set an example for my younger siblings so that they would go on their missions, because I knew it was right. But I didn't know why it was right for myself. Makes sense. Yeah. So that that experience, you you again the conveyor belt image. You're mm-hmm. on this conveyor belt. How do you get off? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you're on it, and you end up on a mission. Mm-hmm. And then what happened after that? So um, you hear all these stories about miracles on missions and this intense spirituality you're supposed to feel. And I think going out thinking that that's what I was supposed to be doing, it made me actually vulnerable to some kind of weird situations that happened to me on my mission. Um, I ended up with a companion that had some some severe mental disorders that no one knew about, and I didn't know that they were mental disorders at the time. Um, And because I wasn't prepared spiritually to be out there, and I wasn't in touch the way that I should have been, I was taken in and manipulated in ways that now that I look at, I don't I wouldn't have done that. Like now I think it's crazy that I acted that way. Um, it ended up putting me into quite a deep depression and I had to come home early. And there were a lot of things that I had to conquer from that point. And I think um, I came home a little bit upset at Heavenly Father. I didn't, I didn't think I don't believe in you anymore or whatever, but it kind of felt like the relationship I'd had with my parents throughout my teenage years, kind of like just a little insulted. I was following the rules. I was out there on the mission. Why, why did this happen? Um, and so I thought, you know, I'm, maybe, I, maybe I need to try something else. Maybe I need to see why, um, why this happened to me. And um, so I, I kind of went off. I didn't follow the rules anymore. I stopped going to church. In movies, people drink when they're sad. So I tried that out a little bit, you know, just kind of, just to kind of see. Um, why was I doing what everybody had been telling me to do for so long? And I think that's when it became evident to me that when you're, the spirit was not with me at that point. And that, that was kind of where it was like, okay, I understand now why Heavenly Father gives us these rules. It's to keep us in line. It's to keep us out of situations that I was purposely putting myself in yeah. at that point. But it's more than just about staying out of it. It's about putting your heart into it as well. So how was it 
different for you once you had that experience of saying, I know what it's like without the spirit. How did that change your perspective on the things you were doing? Because the things you were doing were probably the same as you've been doing before. How did that change the way that you did them or the way that you perceived what you were doing? Um, well, for instance, going back to church was something I did or I do now because I want to hear what people have to say in sacrament meeting. I want to hear their experiences because I know that I've had mine and I know that I'll be able to grow from theirs to help me in mine. Um, obviously to partake of the sacrament, which I've gone without a few times in my life and of course during that time and the feeling of having that ordinance back in my life and um, understanding why that's the one that we do every single week. It's very important. Um, coming closer to Christ. Uh, the temple wasn't just one of those things I was curious about anymore. You know, when you go through the first time, you what's actually in there? Now it's, I go there to feel closer to Heavenly Father and to help my ancestors and that sort of thing. And so that, that's kind of how it shifted for me. Yeah. So what kept you going? Like when you came home and you said, you, you felt a little hurt. How in the world did you keep going so that you could get to this point and see, oh, it's, it's pretty good here. I, I can find happiness. How did you keep going? Um, I reflected a lot on that experience as a 10-year-old. Because in the back of my head, I always knew that it was right. And that's kind of what pulled me forward. And I would step back and I kind of looked at it from a logical perspective. I'd say, look, I'm not where I'm supposed to be right now. I know that, but I know I'm not always going to be like this. Because one thing that I had a testimony of was Heavenly Father was there. He, he would be there when I came back, just the way that my parents were always there for me when I came back. They're obviously really great examples to me. Um, so that's kind of what eventually pulled me back, is just knowing that I had a path to go back. It yeah. wasn't cut off. I love that, and I love... It's such a vote of confidence in your parents, but also parents in general, to say, if you are loving, if that is the number one message that you're sending above everything else, maybe above even the rules, mm -hmm. is, I love you, you're always welcome, yes. then they will want to come back of yes. their own choice, like yes. you did. <laughs> so let's talk about this new baby of yours. If... If she gets to the point where maybe she feels like expectations are hard, or as a teenager, if she rebels a little bit, what do you think you're going to tell her to get her to maybe have an easier time of it than you did? I think the biggest thing will be encouraging her to discover for herself. Um, this is actually a little bit of something I'm experiencing with my own husband right now. He's a convert to the church, and he has never understood why we do all the things that we do <laughs> in this church, because it, it can be a lot. And trying, I, you know, I would push him all the time, like, we have to read our scriptures together. We have to have family meeting. You have to get to church. And 
I used to, I came to a point where I dreaded Sundays because it was always kind of like a fight. It was, mm. it was difficult because it was me dragging him to put his stuff on so we could get to church. And recently I've discovered that Heavenly Father doesn't drag us to the gospel. Why am I dragging him to the gospel? Like that just doesn't make any sense. So I've kind of let it be his thing and let him watch me go to the temple and let him watch me go to church. And I think that that is so key with anybody you're trying to, to bring to the gospel is let them figure it out by themselves and let them see how happy it makes you. Because you see somebody with an ice cream cone, you want an ice cream cone too. It's kind of that they see the happiness they want it too. So it's, that's what I would, I hopefully can remember this from when she's a teenager to just let her. Yeah, we'll experience. save this so you can watch Thank it. You. I'll <laughs> give it to you as a gift when she turns 16. Great. <laughs> I'm going to need it. Yep. Um, Thank you. I, yeah. I love that idea of we don't need anyone to drag us to Heavenly Father. Love will do that. Yes. And I appreciate your example of that. You make me want to be better and <laughs> less um, maybe forceful with other people and just invite <laughs> through love. So thank you so much, Allison. Thank, thank you. you.